0: This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. (laughs) Now you're welcome to another edition of business impact and we're really enjoying this current weather at the moment some sumptuous temperatures and sunny climes are out there outside your window if you can get out please go out and enjoy it definitely signs of spring and summer sort of hanging around in the wings as well now with the exception of the really tragic events in ukraine there's only one other topic anyone is discussing apologies to will smith and chris rock but that is the price of energy thankfully the arrival of this weather and those warmer temperatures have slightly dampened the concerns for a period, but the question still lingers. Very urgently, will we be able to keep the lights on this winter? But more crucially, will we be able to pay for the lights to be on this winter? That is the centrepiece of our conversation today. But for the first time, and maybe not the last, we will also be talking about light-emitting diodes, better known as LEDs. So are you confused? Well, hopefully my guest today will be able to explain all. And he is Kevin Mon, CEO and founder of Urban Volt an Irish company founded in 2015 that is a major player in energy conservation technology and energy as a service business lines of various descriptions. He also happens to be a graduate of UCD. You're very welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you very much, Emmett. It's great to have you along. A fascinating company. You've been going at it for several years now. Very strong growth. We hear a lot about the company. You're very visible because you're one of the the few big players in the Irish um, part of this industry. But it's a big global game as well. Um, you are a UCD graduate. Could you just tell us, for the benefit of our listeners, a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, when you um, were at UCD and how your career progressed after that?
1: Yeah, I did my uh, my masters, my MBA at the Smurfit Business School. In uh, I was a full time attendee, so it was ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, I graduated from there. Uh, I then went into I worked for Merrill Lynch, uh, investment banking, for several years. Uh, and left a set of a business called Noverus which is an air sterilization company about 10 or 11 years ago I founded. And that was uh, using a plasma-based technology to sterilize the air, uh, which is now a, a very uh, successful business. And uh, I think the pandemic obviously played well into into that uh, company's fortunes. And then after that was uh, was built, and uh, I left with my two co-founders. Well, I'm one of my co-founders and another one uh, who's a friend of mine to set up... Um, urban vault and, uh, and we really wanted to sort of change the energy services industry. We could see that the energy was going to only get more expensive. We wanted to do something to, I suppose, help the environment. We all had two kids each. We wanted to use sort of business as a force for good. And that was the driving uh, driving force behind creating urban vault.
0: And just to explain, because a lot of our, our listeners will will be in the energy game in the sense that they have it in their domestic home, but they may not know a whole lot beyond that. Can you just explain for their benefit how a big business that owns a warehouse or a factory, how important it is, uh, you know, what what sort of new technology you're bringing to this and how it was done traditionally? Our initial
1: offering was into the industrial sector. So warehouses, factories, big box retail stores, essentially anywhere with a sort of a a big metal shed with a concrete floor um, was our target market. They were using traditional lighting. Uh, which, which in a warehouse or a big box store would account for maybe eighty percent of their energy consumption, wow. um, because they don't have much else in it. And each of those those lights in those buildings consumes about three hundred and fifty to five hundred euros worth of energy a year. And some of these buildings have thousands of those lights in their um, high bay lighting. So our model was to go in and say, "Look, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you switching these LEDs, which will save you eighty percent on your energy?" And uh, and everyone's answer was, "It's just too expensive." So we decided to try and find a business model where we would um, put them in for free and essentially share the savings on a subscription basis with the uh, with the end user, and that was very successful um, in the industrial sector because the consumption was so high in terms of energy use. Generally, they were open at least two shifts and maybe three shifts uh, a day, so they're running a lot of them twenty four hours a day. So it was a uh, that was a, a great win uh, and reducing energy consumption by eighty percent inside these big box. Uh, uh, warehouses and factories
0: what did you put it down to that they hadn't done be- this before i mean was it just they hadn't thought of it or somebody had kiboshed it internally in the company or well, why had not like why was there any business opportunity there when you arrived into it first place i suppose when we first looked at it uh, people were talking about
1: led lights uh, in their houses people had done it but they hadn't really done it the market wasn't that mature in the uh, in the industrial sector it was in office blocks it was in homes with uh, these large light high bay lights they're difficult to switch out for one because you have to use a cherry picker to, to get up to them, uh, and they're expensive. So these these lights individually could cost as much as a thousand euros each. So if you've got a thousand of them in your factory, you know it's going to cost you a million euros to switch them out. So while the energy saving could be quite good, the payback period wasn't quite as uh, as good enough to justify it, uh, the investment for a lot of companies. So our our benefit, if you're doing one project at a time, you know you pay not quite retail, but you're paying retail to do each project. Uh, our benefit was doing uh, hundreds of these projects in a year and being able to drive down the cost on our side. So we were able to obtain substantially better costings to to do it, and that allowed us to to turn it into a subscription type model for the client. So there was no cash up front for the customer, just an immediate energy saving.
0: And speaking today, because obviously prices change around, I mean, what, what kind of saving would you be drawing down at You in know, 2022? Is it still the same or has it actually even increased further?
1: Well, no, uh, uh, we fix our price. So it's a, it's a monthly subscription based on a percentage of savings. So as, as energy prices increase, customers are saving more and more uh, more, and more money. So it's, it's actually, it's a very fair way of doing it. Our, our costs are fixed. So when we put it in, it's a one-off cost. So, uh, so we're able to fix our cost, uh, our monthly price uh, on the day that we install. So it's quite a fair way of doing it. because The customer, as energy prices increase, continues to save more and more uh, money.
0: Now, this is an industry known as lighting as a service. Uh, and for I did some research for this podcast. <laughs> You'll be glad to hear. And I, I was amazed at their the sheer profusion of companies in the area. There seems to be a lot globally. It seems to be a very buzzy kind of area with a lot of uh, outside funding coming in and so on. I mean, how have you kind of? Uh, Claude a market share out for yourselves? I mean, what, what what how competitive is it? Just give us a sense of, because a lot of companies have come into this area in, say, the last five, 10 years.
1: Yeah, it's gotten far more competitive than it was over the last, so when we started in 2015, Um, in fact, we were the originator of the species, I suppose. Uh, we hold the um, the trademark, registered trademark for light as a service. So we were the first in the space uh, originally, uh, and over time, more and more companies have, have, uh, have gotten into it. So it's become more and more competitive um in, in truth the biggest competition is inertia in the market it's not uh, other competitors there's so many buildings in the world that need to be done uh, at this point it's i estimate that it's certainly in our space in the industrial sector less than ten percent of the buildings have switched to leds so led lighting of uh, industrial buildings so that there's more than enough business there for all the players in the industry it's it's overcoming inertia from the client's perspective, because it becomes quite, if you're doing a building, it's quite a, simple to, to do the maths and estimate it and, and agree to it and start the project. For the larger corporates who would have 300, 1,000, 5,000 buildings around the world, the beginning of a project like that and planning it is quite difficult for them. So so that's where we try and make it easy for them. Uh, that's been the real competition is inertia.
0: In a strange way, as companies become more energy aware, and as, you, as you've said earlier, the cost goes up, do do they in a strange way, does that mean like turnkey buildings will have all this stuff in them from the start, which is bad for you if it's already in there, or does that does it work like that?
1: No, I, I, new construction, most of them uh, would be stacking um, LED lighting in from day one. So they would all be looking now at, at making bi- buildings more energy efficient uh, when they build them. So I think moving forward, that's great. But, but if you look at the built infrastructure and the built environment in, in the world today, there are so many buildings out there, millions of them that need to be done, uh, that it's, I don't think the market's going to dry up uh, anytime soon.
0: And in terms of putting the business together, I mean, how have you been funding yourselves? Is, is it money from the, yourself and your, your colleagues? Or how, how have you been sort of keep, keeping going? Because I know the first few years can be the most difficult period for any entrepreneur.
1: It's it's difficult when you set up a business like this with a different, uh, I suppose, a different uh, way of doing things. One you have to overcome uh, investors' understanding of of why your business model is is uh, is better, unique. It's going to try. It's going to drive change. So so once you you get that nailed down, then because you need equity to fund it in the beginning, and we've had um, we've had some great investors over over time. Initially, uh, uh, business venture partners, which is a company in Dublin investment company was an early investor. Uh, We have ISAF, the Irish Strategic Investment Fund, uh, was a later investor to provide equity. Um, Stephen Vernon provided equity and and joined the company on the board as chairman, has been excellent. And then we have debt providers then came in later on. So Beach Point Capital uh, have been an excellent debt partner force in terms of uh, financing the, the lighting equipment itself. And financing the contracts so those projects are expensive for us need a lot of cash up front because we pay for everything up front and wait years to get our return so funding is i suppose at least a third of the business uh in truth
0: yeah i mean as the founder you, you've read the, i'm sure loads of books about founders of companies and sometimes it can be hard to keep the enthusiasm going because you've been there right from the start and it's your it's your baby i mean how, how have you managed that process where You know what i mean you're the ceo you're also the founder it's your inspiration you put it together then other people come in they might have different opinions you know trying to sort of meld that all together has that been a a challenge for you personally just trying to kind of uh, evolve yourself as, as this business has grown i think
1: that's all i think that's always a challenge it's um you start with a very pure simple vision um that that has yet to uh i can't remember which general said it but no plan survives first contact with the enemy so it starts with a very pure, simple vision, um, and then over time, as you meet the different obstructions the market, you find it tough to get funding. Suddenly, your model has to change. You have to change. So you 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 have to keep yourself going. I think perseverance is a huge part of success in uh, in a startup. When you're going from startup to a a growth business, that sort of transitioning that valley of death, as they call it, is uh, is very difficult, and it. I would say 75% of it is mental, is just getting up every day and just keep on going, believing and trusting in, in your vision.
0: Your your marketing has also been very good. Um, you know, you, you're, you're certainly a visible presence in this whole area. As you've said, you, you've copyrighted or, or patented, I suppose, the lighting as a service Moniker, so that that's obviously very impressive too. I mean, in terms of geographies, do, do you see this as being, Have you mainly been in Ireland, or do you see you have to go overseas? Because obviously Ireland is, is a very modest market compared to others around us. So how, how are you going to divide up your your resources over the next few years?
1: I think that's probably the the most difficult uh, the most difficult question that we're facing. So the Irish market has have been very successful in. We, uh, funnily enough, I think not a lot of people know it, but the Irish market is now our smallest market for the lighting as a service. Uh, business, so we're in nine countries around the world, um, as far away as New Zealand. We've completed a project uh, the UK, Austria, the States, um, Holland, uh, Germany. I can't even remember them all. I think Portugal. We're, so we we follow our clients because we have larger clients now, international clients. We tend to follow them wherever they want the work done. So that has uh, has dragged us into multiple markets. But about a Two years ago, we took the view of we were going to do start doing this business remotely so that we can pretty much do business anywhere in the world from Dublin, from our headquarters in Dublin, which makes it a lot easier to uh, to expand.
0: I mean, your point about inertia is, is fascinating because, you know, every company, literally every company you've ever dealt with or engaged with says they're green, says they're environmentally conscious. It tells you they're energy efficient. But it sounds like you're saying there's a lot of holdouts there. <laughs> There's a lot of companies that say it but don't do a whole lot or it's something on their list but they haven't got to it yet. I mean, if you're not even swapping out energy-efficient lighting, you, you kind of do wonder about what other stuff they're doing and, and how energy-efficient uh, and, and economical they are. I mean, do you think it's just something that is on a to-do list somewhere or they don't see the savings as being sufficient or it's, it's as you said, the upfront cost can be high so they kind of don't want to take that hit at the moment? What, what What's your kind of rationale for... So much inertia, you, you almost think they'd be banging your door down every day.
1: Yeah, I think I, over the last, it's a, it's a difficult question. It's one we, we, we grapple with. It's not that I think companies are, are seeking to not be energy efficient or, or not be green or sustainable. It, it's, uh, they look at these projects and a lot of them, we'll price, maybe I'd say we've priced over a thousand projects this year already. Um, so you would think that, that, you know, a large portion of those will, will come to do business with us. Um, so, but they, it takes a long time. And if you've got multiple buildings and multiple issues to be dealing with, as long as I suppose for the last few years, as long as you had a plan in the drawer saying, this is what we're going to do, then that was enough. Now that's no longer enough. Um, consumers and other parts of people's supply chains are now. Uh, said, demanding that people become more energy efficient and more sustainable. So we are seeing an uptick in execution of those projects uh, that hasn't been there. This was the same energy uh, that has been there for the past few years. I don't believe that companies are willfully not doing it. It's just they've got 100 other things to do that they're looking at. So uh, that sort of view of quarterly earnings doesn't help. So they're always looking at a short-term view rather than a longer-term view. And renewable energy is is a hot topic for them, but they, again, they very few companies have done anything there either.
0: Yeah, I mean, you probably see that the growth curve could suddenly accelerate a lot faster than anyone has anticipated. I'd say it's just one of those things. You get to a, a critical point or a kind of inflection point, and it takes off. So I'd say that'll be interesting to watch. How have you viewed like it's just every single headline you read today? We've got obviously gas price inflation, we've got oil price inflation. A lot of the inputs that go into making up energy, you know, you can see farmers struggling to to pay for fertilizer. It's just everywhere you look. I mean, how has that affected your business, just this global energy spike, which is going on as we record this podcast? I mean, how is it impacting on your business? Even though you're in energy efficiency, you have to worry about your own inputs and your own costs as well. I know
1: everybody's uh, costs are, are going up. So that is something that we that we saw late last year. We started seeing costs uh, being increased to, from our suppliers, um, which obviously isn't great because it drives up the price of of uh, of reducing energy for other people. Um, but where uh, the pricing is so high now in the energy market, and I believe it's going to continue to to escalate. The wholesale market is is a broken market. Um, people no longer a lot of the energy suppliers don't produce their own energy; they're buying it in the wholesale market those prices can be so variable that a lot of these larger energy providers have lost control of their their input, major input, which is raw energy. So the market's broken. Energy security rather than pricing is something that I think is more important for people to focus on. Because if you can secure a certain portion of your energy at a fixed price for a long-term period, the fluctuations in the market are no longer as, as damaging for you or as dangerous for you. And that's that's what we're seeing a lot of the larger corporates are looking at now saying okay how do we how do we get security of energy supply at a, at a fixed price for a longer term and that is uh that's leading them to looking at solar uh, wind uh, on the their own self-generated um renewable energy
0: yeah we we've had um, the topic of the energy trilemma so that's um climate affordability and security on this podcast a number of times and It's really hard to see at the moment how you can tick all three of those boxes at any one time, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of something has to give. I think we
1: need more providers that are outside the, what I would call the standard uh, utility type provider of energy. So, I mean, one of the products that we're offering now is solar as a service. So in the same way we did lighting as a service, we provide solar panels on these large industrial buildings. So they're self-generating power uh, above their own buildings. So we're, we're working on the other side of the roof now for clients. And for for most of our clients, we can generate between sort of 30 and 50% of their energy consumption to be generated on their own roof. So we put it in for free and we just charge them a, a price per kilowatt hour as they consume it, just like a utility would for electricity they buy from the grid. And that to us is the answer where people become. There was a phrase, uh, it was bandied around a few years ago, prosumers, so people who would produce their own energy and consume their own energy. And I think that is going to be the future.
0: Are we looking at at rolling out your technology or your concept into households? I mean, I know it might sound wacky at this point, but are, are we, I mean, software as a service would have been laughed at decades ago, but now it's just extremely common. I mean, is it possible or would somebody like Electric Ireland call themselves uh, energy as a service? Like what what? How do you see that breaking out at the household level? I mean, it's a sort of a, a different world, I know, but it's going to be interesting.
1: Well, at the household, I, I can I can see it happening right now. I think there's less than three percent of of buildings in the Irish market have uh, have solar on them, residential homes, and uh, and I think it's probably even less than that. Um, it, it's a fragmented market. It's difficult to service. It requires a lot of capital up front to do it properly. I think to build a, a uniform offering. So currently, it's reasonably well served in that it's in that there's lots of people will will sell you solar panels and install them on your roof. But I think the pricing is still uh, I don't know messy for people. It's hard to make a decision. Uh, the offering isn't quite there yet. There's grants, you know, in some places sometimes they're available, sometimes they're not. That confuses the issue um it's a little confused the market right now it will take somebody to come in who has a brand a trusted brand and uh, and has a a decent financial model to make it easier for for a residential uh consumer of of solar energy to be able to make a decision i think it's people are scared of making a long term decision on on something that they don't really understand
0: and and in terms of the way we sell energy here we're, we're very focused on individual homes you've a relationship directly with your provider one on one and that's it I mean, there are group energy schemes in Europe, in particular. It's quite common. So, do we need to batch up areas or groups of people or houses more and make it? That's going to be more attractive, presumably, for the provider. But also, you might get more competitive power as well if you're doing it into a thousand houses or five hundred apartments. Or, I mean, is it? Is the way we look at energy supply need to sort of change as well? I think.
1: Absolutely, think that's right. I think I think community energy schemes will be the future. Where where. Households, band, groups of households, uh, can come together, negotiate a fixed price for a longer term, um, and that that works in in Europe because a lot of, almost say Germany, most of the the utility companies would control their own power plants and produce all the energy. So they have a, in some ways, a fixed cost. There's very little variability in the supply cost of energy there, whereas in the Irish market and the UK market uh, in particular we're buying in a lot of energy on the wholesale market. So it's very difficult for, for any of the utilities to guarantee a fixed price for a long period of time. In, in fact, I don't think any of them want any contract that's longer than a year or two years uh, in case prices rise on the wholesale market and they are unable to pass them on. So we've we've kind of hamstrung ourselves in the way that we, we produce energy but the fact that we don't produce all of our own energy uh means that we find it hard to to fix prices and therefore enter long-term contracts with with large-scale amounts of customers
0: yeah and there's a there is a slight peculiarity isn't there a sense that we the we the people own one of the energy companies right esb electric ireland you know i'm not not, i I realize it's regulated in their state aid so we can't just force the esb to sell power at below the market level if life was only that simple but it is a peculiarity in the sense that, you know, people would say, well, why don't we have our own power and our own energy assets? You know what I mean? Like, should, should we just go and build Ireland Inc, just build, you know, hundreds of wind farms and have our own energy supply rather than being reliant on the end of a pipeline that stretches all across the European continent? It's kind of like, as you say, we're, we are terribly exposed, aren't we, the way the system is currently constructed? Yeah, we're terribly exposed,
1: and, and uh, look, we're small. We're a small nation. We're a small island nation off the coast of Europe. It's uh, it's difficult for us to make those kind of large scale investments. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure I'm advocating for for total nationalization of of power uh, production in the country, but I, I do think we should be looking at it as a in a more I hate this phrase, but a, a more holistic sense in terms of what's happening. <laughs> uh, I hate those kind of st- standard words so
0: if we, you've only had one so if those everyone one words, bingo in the background there's one <laughs> yeah they can tick their box and there's another one there um in terms of your own business then very fascinating i know it's been tough and um financially it's been a challenge in recent years but i mean how do you see it going long term what stage are you at in your evolution are you obviously picking up a lot of contracts globally so that sounds very encouraging the technology its moment has come you would think you know, companies are just more attuned to the message about energy conservation. So you would think doors are a bit more ajar than they might have been uh, four or five years ago. So, so where how are things going? I mean, give us a a bit of a temperature check on the business itself.
1: Yeah, things are, things are actually going well during COVID. It was it was uh, things obviously quieted down, particularly in the industrial buildings uh, market, because manufacturers didn't want anybody entering their buildings uh, in case they spread COVID around and shut them down. Distribution and uh, uh, logistics buildings. We're working at one hundred and fifty percent productivity time, so they didn't have any time to do much. So the last two years were were quiet uh, in terms of installations. We were still signing lots of contracts. It was getting inside the buildings, it was tough. now we're we're running around finishing off projects that were signed up last year uh, for clients. And this year has taken off. You can definitely see that there is a change in attitude and there is a change in speed in the market. Um, so to give you an example, just in the Irish market alone and on the solar as a service business, I think there's we've close to 600 projects in our pipeline right now. Um, so people are certainly embracing it now. And, and part of it is the energy, the current energy crisis, but I think it was more COVID people started thinking then about climate change, that maybe this is real and we need to start doing something. And so there's been a kind of a, a shift in the in the market globally people are looking to do something now and uh, so the business is is booming now
0: and in terms of your own inputs like can you give us any idea just of like an led light bulb i mean has it gone up sort of five ten fifteen percent just if you went out and bought one in your local hardware store like what what kind of um cost pressures are you just dealing with as a company yourselves well, I think in terms of the the,
1: the lighting business, we we match our supply chain to whatever country we're operating in, but generally we try to, or in whatever region. So in America, we would have an American manufacturer uh, of the lighting, so we're paying for our inputs in the same currency that we're charging for our service. Uh, in Europe, it's the same. So our market is predominantly the European market. Uh, we have a European supplier of lighting. So the cost inputs, so far, Not that huge increase on the lighting side because the biggest, I suppose, cost input on that side would be shipping. Shipping costs for, say, containers from China for all the components Uh, would have gone last year. Went from, say, roughly three thousand euros a container coming from China to mainland Europe. Uh, went up to at one point about twenty two thousand euros a container. Whoa! But but <laughs> but with the lighting components, you can fit a lot of components in a in a container. So you're spreading that cost across thousands, tens of thousands of components. Whereas in our solar business, prices went up by probably twenty five to thirty uh, percent. But that's because mainly was uh, was because of these container costs. But you can't fit as many panels inside of a, a, a container. So you're spreading that huge increase in shipping cost across a smaller number of products um so that was the that that's there's some sort of this with headline numbers
0: yeah and does that still leave you with enough margin on the other side to make the savings for the client or is that getting well it must be in some way getting squeezed at the other side that you, you know that the saving yeah, that you can it, deliver yeah do you know what for for we we change so well we make an offer to a client
1: for a fixed price per kilowatt hour say for solar and we lock it in for 90 days. And after that, the pricing, we change. If somebody wants to come back or they haven't made their decision, then we then we have to uh, change the pricing or look at the pricing and see if it's changed. So the pricing for some of our earlier projects... I have to say, people who signed up uh, last year did very well uh, <laughs> in terms of the price per kilowatt hour they were getting don't, out Don't, don't curse away. them. Don't curse them, you know. <laughs> no, not, but as I said, our, our costs are, are pretty much fixed uh, at the point of of um, installation. So it's okay for us to fix a price with somebody and for them to to come off very well. And our, say, customers who have, who waited to sign later, their price would have changed per kilowatt hour based on our costs having changed. So our model is is pretty simple. Uh, we don't try and because prices have spiked, you know, madly in the market doesn't mean we're not, we're, we're raising our prices to match those. Uh, we aren't, um, we raise the price based on our cost inputs, not on, not on uh, what the market is doing.
0: And do you see yourselves as part of a, a kind of a coterie of companies that are something as a service type companies? I obviously mentioned software, but. You know everything from cars you know there's a whole range of things now that you know a certain generation very much look towards that you can instead of owning something or having fixed infrastructure or long term kind of locked in commitments you can kind of get things as a service and tailor them and get someone else to manage them. do you see your 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 own company as part of that family of companies as sort of almost a new? And I'm not going to say I say a little bit high minded here, but a bit of an economic paradigm shift here. sorry. Um, but it's a different type of way of looking at the way services are provided. Do you see yourselves as part of that, or is it just that's just the way the business went? No, I do see ourselves as part of
1: that, and it was part of our thinking. I think in the future, um, all sort of large sort of large asset purchases uh, that we've traditionally would would buy and own and finance from a bank, maybe, take ownership over time. I, I think long term we're all realizing who wants to own a depreciating asset. You know, I, it's really I just want the output from that asset is what I really want. So I, I'm I would much rather pay a variable cost for how I use it and when I use it rather than own an asset that, that that sits there doing nothing sometimes. Like in our business, you know, the next big step for us will be energy storage, so battery storage going into buildings, to large buildings and, and that's that's, that's an expensive, you know, large, chunky asset that needs to go in. And so by turning things into a service, one, you make it easier for people to make the change because they don't have to write a check today. They just pay for it as they would normally pay for it. Uh, and a great example that it's not, maybe it is something, somewhat uh, indicative of our business is that you know, the, average in terms of the, uh, the average family vehicle, the average car for 95% of the time sits in one place. Mm. Uh, and you think that for most people it's the second largest purchase they make, uh, and yet it it's so unused. The compared to the price, the investment they've made in it, it's uh, it's the same in, in our business,
0: yeah. I mean, uh, ta- tax, taxi men are much more efficient users of cars than we are, the rest of us, right? I mean, they they, uh, they always have it, have it moving, right? And someone in the back seat, which we don't have as, as ordinary car owners, so yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, so it's basically be a world where we we rent rather than own you know, all these services. That's the
1: there's no need to own these assets, and, and to be honest, like because we do thousands of projects, the cost, my cost to to buy these projects, to buy these the inputs and provide the service and install the things, even with our margin, is cheaper than you would do it yourself. Um, so if you go out for a one-off to buy it, you're not going to buy it at the same price we are. So. It, even with a, a margin from from, a, from a, an as-a-service provider, it's typically still going to be cheaper than if you went and bought it yourself and dealt with all the ancillary service costs and investments that you have to make. So I, I think it is the future. Large, chunky assets in, in every walk of life will ultimately become as-a-service type products.
0: Well, I, I can see the company is, is expanding. You're, you've mentioned batteries. You've mentioned solar. You've obviously mentioned lighting as a service. Well, what's your ultimate ambition for this business, Kevin? And I know <laughs> you won't want me to play back the podcast <laughs> in five years if you if you don't fulfil them. No, but, but in but in your yeah. own mind, well, what's, when you when you go to sleep at night, what do you want this business to do or go, or what 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 it look like over the next few I, years?
1: I, I see us. I see us building a a sort of a, a community power uh, energy company. Uh, for businesses, uh, every client that, that that sort of joins up is is producing their own energy, taking themselves off the grid. I mean, the long term, I could see certainly for warehouses uh, and the logistics sector where we're able to take buildings completely off the grid within the next sort of three to five years, uh, at a, and and for their energy costs to be lower than they are currently paying, uh, and building a kind of a, a virtual power plant of tens of thousands of industrial buildings that. Traditionally sat there as energy hogs, uh, suddenly reverting and becoming producers of energy and spilling energy, green energy, into the grid. So these kind of brownfield sites and uh, and as eyesores of industrial um, production can suddenly be giving back to the local communities around them by by producing energy on the roofs that they don't need. So if we if an entire warehouse was covered roof to roof with solar. I would say about at least a third of the output from the, from the solar installation could be spilled into the grid, into the local community. And that's where I see us ultimately going to.
0: Absolutely. no, that's really interesting because we have so many grim headlines about energy and where people are talking about a throwback to the 1970s and stagflation et cetera, it's actually really interesting to see it, throwing it forward, what we might look like uh, 10, 15 years from now, it sounds far more optimistic and encouraging than, than some of the headlines we read. So thanks for offering your perspective um, good luck with the business hopefully we'll talk to you again you've been a very interesting guest so that is kevin mohn who is the founder and ceo of urban Vault. thanks for coming on today thanks so much Emma. now if you enjoyed this week's episode of the ucd business impact podcast please subscribe to episodes on apple podcast or spotify we cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Corse cadden Ed Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact.